Today, I'm excited to speak to Dr. Paul Yellen. Dr. Yellen is currently the director of the Yellen Center for Mind, Brain, and Education in New York City, established in 2007. He works with children diagnosing learning disabilities and teaching them tactics to help them learn at their best. Before starting this establishment, he worked for many years as the National Director of the Student Success Program at All Kinds of Minds Institute. This is where he helped to develop new forms of learning assessments and personalized learning plans. He has worked with thousands of students from all over the country and is an active leader of the American Academy of Pediatrics. He has touched the lives of so many students through his work, and I'm so lucky to speak to him today. Dr. Yellen, thank you so much for being a part of this. Well, thank you so much for those kind words. It's really a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you today. So my first question, which is what I like to ask everybody because I think it really helps listeners to get to know them, is why did you decide to go into this field? And specifically, why did you want to work with children? Well, I've always been a, so I've been a pediatrician by training. And actually, my career started out in newborn intensive care. I was a what was called a neonatologist and was working in that field and have always been uh, in pediatrics. But what really opened my eyes to to the work I'm doing now uh, was just difficulties my wife and I encountered because our, our third child was struggling significantly with complex learning issues throughout his academic career. And our own frustration in how difficult it was for us uh, as professionals to to deal with the systems um, and really the process for looking at different learners um, pushed me to to learn about it. And the more I got involved with it, the more I was it became my passion. Uh, so it really has been a very personal reason uh, mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So. I'm wondering, really, what kinds of methods you use to assess a child's learning abilities? Um, and specifically related to anxiety, what are some things that you look for um, in children? Oh, I, you know, I, I, you know, I think assessment has got to be really. Um, Having worries, so 
it, those are always in the picture. Uh, and, you know, we know that the brain pathways that drive anxiety are very powerful and, uh, and very strong. And, and um, you know, it, and so that they are very much in play and, and out of people's conscious control. So it's something that we're looking at um, in a lot of different ways. But mm-hmm. I think the most important thing is to is to develop a rapport and and, and, and uh, you know an openness uh, and, and and where you can speak to you know children and young adults directly and ask them. Uh, I, I find oftentimes how surprised I am uh, when we find we're the first you know that, that people are reluctant to directly ask kids what's going on mm-hmm. and to really listen and really listen to, to what their worries are and, 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 and not to judge, uh, but to, you know, try to really understand where a child is coming from and what their experience means to them. Yeah, completely. So it's so interesting to me that you said that because my next question is how have kids, mainly younger kids, do you think that they've been able to verbalize the way they're feeling successfully? Because I know from the other people that I've talked to that it can be difficult for kids to really be able to say exactly how they're feeling. So how do you sort of shuffle through and sort through sort of everything a kid tells you they're feeling to understand what's really going on? I, I, I think that's, that's such a, an important question because you know, there are um, people who are at every different level of ability to, to express feelings, you know, for people who are very open and, and eloquent in talking about their worries and talking about their feelings to folks that are not, you know, children and young adults who either don't have the words or the language to express what they're feeling, or, or may maybe not even being fully aware of it. I think that that's why some standardized checklists are helpful, mm-hmm. because they allow people to describe symptoms and feelings that are associated with anxiety and worries. Um, and, uh, you know, how often uh, do you find yourself short of breath, or how often do you find yourself, um, you know, worried about things happening to you or um, or feeling your heart pounding. So there are questions mm-hmm. that elicit some of these physical symptoms. Uh, and uh, I think that being aware of the physical symptoms of anxiety uh, can, you know, can, can be really important. You know, asking questions about um, sleep and and you know, and people's enjoyment of the things that they're doing with their friends and their families, uh, and and their appetite, uh, yeah, and, and how you know, and and you know, sometimes people who are all worried may look the same as somebody who has an attention problem. So you know, kids are having difficulty keeping their minds on their work, um, maybe because they have an attention problem, but it may be because they have worries on their mind and and that are distracting them from what it is they're trying to do. So I think I think it, it is a matter of looking comprehensively from all different angles and, and, and sort of getting a sense and then, you know, creating a, a conversation. And sometimes also, you know, using drawings and having people draw pictures um, yeah. can, give, give, can, you know, let them access their feelings. 
there are you know projective tools that people use you know showing a picture and having somebody make up a story to that picture uh, can sometimes give them voice to feelings that they're not fully aware of. Uh, so it, 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 it's a matter of looking and listening in different ways. Mm -hmm. So what I found really interesting also about what you were just saying in, in terms of age, I think that, at least for me, um, as we grow up, we get slightly better being able to express exactly how we feel in the sense of when I was little, I may have just felt sad and your checklist could have helped me know what kind of sad feeling that is. But then as we grow up, we can have more of the sense of I feel sad because I'm really nervous about this test. Um, but at the same time, exactly. at the same time, as you're growing up, you're also getting social, you're getting socialized to believe that there's something wrong with you if you have anxiety. So in terms of as kids grow up, the two things are happening at once. Have you noticed that it's been difficult for older kids to talk about their feelings with anxiety? Do they use the word anxiety? No, I think that you, I think that you're really very much on point that people, you know, there is a, there is a shame about it. Uh, and, you know, one way that we will talk about it with people is, it's really, you know, to point out the neuroscience of anxiety, uh, and, and you know, to, to, to I think to step back and, and realize that you know the root of anxiety is a part of our brain called the amygdala, and the amygdala is sort of hardwired to our adrenal gland. It's the source of our fight or flight impulse. Uh, essentially, it is something that kept us alive when we were hunter-gatherers and when we sort of encountered a snake or something dangerous. Um, it, it, it is such a strong survival value that it, it, it is, um, you know, a very physical thing. It's a visceral thing uh, that also is associated with strong emotions. Um, what happens in modern world, of course, is that in some way the... The, the physical threat isn't there, mm -hmm. but our brain only has one response. It's that sort of fight or flight, that panicky feeling. And I find that when we sort of show people the pathways and, and realize, wow, it's not my fault. Uh, it's not that I'm crazy or there's something wrong with me. Uh, this is a natural reaction to danger and our bodies and brains have one pathway uh, and something that is, you know, to that, uh, you know, and I remember working with this, with a student who, when he was getting into trouble in school, because when a teacher would confront him, he would bolt out of the room. And having him, helping him and his parents and teachers understand that this was his fight or flight impulse, and, and, you know, giving him the right medication and giving him the right tools and having teachers understand, um, that uh, what this was uh, suddenly, I think, destigmatizes it. It makes people realize, oh, this is a normal response that we all are supposed to have. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow, that's it kept us alive. That's... It, kept, it keeps us, you know, it, 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 it's existed because it's, it's so powerful as a survival instinct. So, you know, we're living in a world, though, where it gets triggered by so many other things. Uh, but to our amygdala and to our adrenal gland, 
it doesn't know whether it's that you're about to be attacked by a bear or there's a math test tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. The response in your body is the same. Yeah, completely. And I think that's so interesting to me because mental health in general, I think, becomes so complicated because so many people can just say, you know what, I, I can't help you with it because I don't understand what's going on with you. And being able to really explain the science and teaching people the science, I think that's so important. Um, so you also mentioned getting parents and teachers involved. And I, I was curious in your process, at what point do you get parents involved? Do you talk to your patient's teachers? And do you think that once you get parents and teachers involved, that sort of changes the way that, um, the child understands your whole diagnosing process? I think it's really important to collect information from everybody, um, but also to, you know, we, we have a, a saying in our house and, you know, that our children would say is nothing about me without me. So I think that the child needs to be very much a part of it. Um, but I think that, you know, when we, when we do an assessment, before a child leaves our office or a young adult leaves our office, we make a chart with them um, that lays out all their strengths and their challenges, um, and they understand how they learn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and it's part of their, um, you know, we want them to be part of the conversation of deciding um, what, what we will share with the school. I, mean, I remember working with the family and uh, parents were very frustrated because the, the child was not using the extended time that we were able to get them for their school. And they were, you know, refusing to, you know, and for the parents' perspective and the teacher's perspective, they were refusing to use the extra time. And we sat down with the student and we said, you know, so what's the story? And he said, well, I'll tell you what the story is. Um, I would, um, are you still there? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, he said, you know, um, I don't mind using my extra time, but, uh, um, I have to stay for an extra hour, uh, and I don't need the whole hour. And my mm-hmm. friends, and, and they march us down the hall to the gymnasium, to, I mean, to the cafeteria, and we can see the outdoor basketball courts where my friends are playing ball, and I don't need to stay for the whole hour and a half. Um, I just need certain times, and I just need it for math. I don't need it for English. And, yeah. You know, creating, having a conversation where everybody is talking about the child's needs and coming up to with a decision together um, can be such a powerful, uh, a powerful event. Yeah, and off of that point, I think extra time is this really interesting thing because at my school, at least extra time, especially when people are diagnosed with it for anxiety, has such a bad stigma of like oh, your parents just paid some doctor to diagnose you so that you could get extra time. You don't need it. Why do you get it? So I was actually wondering if you could sort of take me through your process of what causes you to think that a student might need extra time just so people can hear that really great people, really great doctors like you don't just give away extra time because someone's going to pay you to do it, but really is it's a process with such care. 
Well, I, I think that, you know, the, the truth of the matter is that, that there are two pieces to it, of course. One is, is our integrity in, in saying that, and, and, you know, I've had, I, I'm very upfront with parents at the start as an assessment, you know, and I'll, and I'll often say, you know, if you really want to deeply, you know, I want to work with you if, you're re, if you and your child really want to understand how you learn best. And if it turns out you need extra time, that's the path we go down. But if you're coming to see me just because you want to get extra time, I'm not the right person. Yeah. Um, and I can't guarantee you that, that we will get extra time. Now, you have to demonstrate there has to be data that supports that there is extra time, that there's a, that there's a need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are certain tests that you have to give and demonstrate that somebody is not able to complete work within a certain amount of time and that they benefit from it and that there's a reason that there's a true disability or something interfering that you've diagnosed that is that that um, that puts them at a deep disadvantage if they don't have extra time. I'm working with somebody who has diabetes and during an exam, the stress throws her blood sugar out of control and she has to stop and test her, her blood and eat and there are physical interruptions and the battles that we are having to get her that extra time is, it, it is you know, it, it is very, um, very surprising and frustrating. Wow. Um, that's... The, the other thing is that, you know, if you don't know how to do something, having all the time in the world isn't going to make you able to do it. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, it really is when we believe that we need to level the playing field and that you're not able to, you know, that there is something demonstrable that's getting in the way that giving you extra time would, would help. Um, and anxiety is, you know, is, uh, is a real disorder. And, you know, we do, uh, you know, look, there is data that we collect and, and, um, like you said, there people who are experiencing anxiety can be greatly benefited by taking the time pressure off during during examinations. Um, you know, we know that when you're worried, it's hard to find things in your long-term memory. It's hard to access, you know, it's hard to find your words. It's hard to find your ideas. Oh, yeah, and completely. You, so anxiety itself is going to make you need more time. And now being worried about not having enough time makes it even harder to access things that are in your mind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and most of the folks that I talk to, most of the, you know, there are people obviously that just are looking for every advantage, but more often than not, um, I am surprised at the integrity of the children I work with. Um, I, we have to convince them that they really need it because they are, most often, they're feeling like, well, I shouldn't have an unfair advantage, um, you know, just because my parents can afford the help, I shouldn't be getting it. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, are saying, no, uh, it, it's not an unfair advantage. It's, it's you know, what's fair. You need it, it's fair. It's allowing you to access the content and demonstrate your abilities at, to level the playing field. Yeah. And you know, so I just, I, yeah, people should not be embarrassed. Extra time, so specifically, again, at, at least at my school, is it's if people ask you why you have it. First of all, a lot of people are ashamed to even say the reason if it does have to do with anxiety. And second of all, if 
someone says ADHD, they're the person who asks is like, great, okay, that that makes sense. If you have ADHD, you would need more time. But then if they say anxiety, it's, oh, well, that's a stupid reason. Everybody gets stressed during tests. And that's where I think that it's really key and interesting to sort of establish this this difference for everyone, both people who have anxiety and don't, is that there is a difference between stress and anxiety, and that it's perfectly normal to be very stressed for your math test, but there's a difference between that and having serious anxiety over your math test. That's right, and the the physical symptoms are are very different, and the severity of the symptoms are different. Mm Mm-hmm. you know, and, and when we're working with somebody who's got anxiety and we're treating them, we're monitoring their their symptoms over time and seeing how, you know, different symptoms get better or get worse. Um, yeah. And and I, I think that there is this, I mean, I guess this thought that, that because you don't see it, um, because it's a, an emotional thing, it is not as as valid um but when we point out that anxiety is a physical thing that it really is there is a brain pathway there's a phenomena called a you know amygdala hijack um the the idea of that when you are anxious that you your your pathways for logic are not working and your ability to think clearly is is impacted uh, it's a, it is a very real physical thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, yeah, and going back to your original point of really teaching people the biology of it is so important. And I think that in school, it would be really great and important if in health classes, for example, while we talk about the effects of alcohol on the brain, the effects of drug on the brain, we also talk about here's what happens to your brain when you're experiencing anxiety. And I think that would be a really key aspect of health and wellness that we could add into schools. I agree with you. And there's a strong genetic component mm-hmm. where there are some people whose anxiety levels are high just be- just even all the time. And it's... We know this as a fact, uh, and so some people are, you know, have different amounts of anxiety than other people, and it's not under their conscious control. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and it, it's not a matter of saying, "Well, don't worry," or, or "Well, you know, that, that we're just coddling some people," but it, it is a real physical thing. Yeah. And so, through your work with anxiety, you've been doing this for a while, and have you noticed? any spike in the number of kids you're diagnosing with anxiety or have you noticed the way that students are experiencing anxiety intensify in any way? I, I, you know, it's, it is, it's anecdotal, I suspect, but, but I just seem to be encountering it more and more. It Mm -hmm. seems to be in the picture and I don't know if people are more open to talking about it or, or that it really is, uh, you know, but I think that that it's a phenomenon that's been reported by others uh, in the field is that there seems to be a spike of anxiety, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I see the pressure that the, children, that the kids in our schools are under uh, these days, and it, it, it seems like there is just such a tremendous amount of stress 
uh, I think social, social media could make it worse because... Yeah, um, that's what I was going to talk to you. That I wanted to you talk know, to you about know, too. I mean, when I was growing up, if you did something stupid, your friends knew about it. If I, you know, nowadays you do something stupid, it goes viral and it, it's out there forever. Yeah. And I think that 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 so that the specter of you know our worst moments potentially being a meme or a defining moment there's uh, a lot of pressure for people to live with. I think. Yeah, and I think what you were just saying is also really important to think about because I've talked to other people for this podcast now and we've all kind of grappled with the is this major spike really that more people are experiencing anxiety or is it that more people are able to identify it and I think one possible reason if we do go with the idea that more people are really experiencing it is how popular social media is and I mean, so many studies come out about how bad it is for your mental health, but it's just so hard for kids my age, younger and older, to really stop. Well, I, I, I remember reading a study about, you know, the, just the, the, that some of the um, psychologists on college campuses were experiencing this notion that, well, I think, look, I think social media is extremely valuable. It makes incredible connections. You know, we're able to, to keep track of our children and our grandson uh, in different parts of the country. So it, it, it it's incredible. But they talked about the phenomena of college freshmen, you know, it's sort of lonely college freshmen, you know, looking at social media and being under the impression that everybody's having this wonderful time. Yeah. Has a wonderful social life, except for them. Yeah. Um, Until they know, post. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. Um, so it, it feels like, uh, you know, I, I think it, it, it does put a, a tremendous burden on people. Yeah. And I, I think the difficult thing about it, as you just said, is you look at social media when you're at your worst and you're posting on it when you're at your best and it gives everybody this false sense of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so one question that I really had, because the purpose of this podcast is for people who have anxiety, people who know someone that has it, is to sort of listen and learn. So what are some techniques you would suggest to kids at a younger age and both teens um, to help them cope with their anxiety? Yeah, I think that some of the, and I, I, I'm curious about you know, what's your sense is of some of the, you know, some of the meditation apps like um, Headspace or Calm um, that really do encourage people to take some moments and be mindful. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Calm when I think, I'm falling asleep. Yeah. But... So, yeah. So we, we recommend that a lot and have found, and I personally have found it uh, to be a helpful uh, you know, a helpful app. Um, so I, I think that those things are are important. I think not making sure that you don't neglect your sleep. Uh, you know that you that you don't. Uh, you know that you make sure that you're uh, getting exercise and you know getting outside and spending time with friends. Uh, I think um, and. And being able to talk to somebody about your feelings, mm-hmm. and and not being reluctant to talk to people about your feelings, um, 
you know, I, I, I also find, I don't know if, if in, you know, if in the groups of folks that you interact with, you find this to be true as well, but there is also a stigma to going to see a therapist or, you know, or going to see, uh, you know, a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, and maybe sort of the, there are techniques, you know, things like cognitive behavioral therapy that are a lot like meditation that are sort of short-term tools that people can learn to manage their anxiety. Um, so I think, you know, being open to going down, you know, getting help if you feel you need it. Uh, and, and, it, and things don't have to be so bad. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I think one can think about anxiety the same way you think about physical pain. And would you tolerate that same level of physical pain if your knee hurt that much? Yeah. And you wouldn't. You know, you'd go to help find somebody help you with it. Exactly. And I think, again, just really changing that stigma is what's so important. Without a doubt. Um, well, I think that's a really great place to close off. Thank you again for speaking with me. And your time is very valuable. Um, so I really appreciate that. Well, so it's yours. And I really appreciate you taking the initiative and, and working on this project. I think it's so important. And I, I really, it, it means a lot to me that you thought to include me. So thank you. Uh, and, you know, good luck with this work. I think it's wonderful. Thank you important. so much.